0: Don't leave this
1: for for my <clears throat> Eventually Super Train episode 96. This is the short-lived TV show podcast that covers shows that never got enough love. Short-lived shows that never got enough love. We go three at a time, one episode at a time. Eventually we'll cover Super Train. I am your host Dan. How are you? I hope you're doing okay. It's um, It's early October 2020 here. And hopefully, if you're listening to this not in 2020, things won't be as, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but things are not great right now, but I'm hoping for the next hour and a half or so, you will go into a, another realm where a bunch of goofballs talk about short-lived TV shows, things that no one cared about, but we do. So let's dive in this episode we are discussing i am this discuss, everyone's discussing tim turner tim S. turner and myself are discussing episode 11 of nero wolf from 1981 then i am going to actually i'm i'm going to an episode that never aired in america of on the air episode 2 uh, we'll talk about that And I'll talk about that And you'll listen to me talk about that You can talk back to me when I'm talking about it But it'll mainly be me talking Then we go to episode 7 of Auto Man Kristen Hawes, the great Kiki Wrights, and myself will be discussing episode 7 of Auto Man I think we're in 84, I believe And that's the layout for this episode. And uh, yeah, enjoy it, folks. And uh, let me me play a little Nero Wolf, and I will be back. Actually, I'll be here throughout the whole thing. But I will be back. This me will be back at the very end. Trust me, I know what I'm... Episode 11, Death and the Dolls. Written by Gerald Sanford, directed by Gerald Mayer. Thank you, Geralds. This is April 10th, uh, 1981, and I believe, yes, I believe with the, um, with, actually with the previous episode, Gambit, the show moved from being up against Dukes of Hazard Friday evening and it was now on Tuesdays 10 to 11. Which somehow seems a worse slot than being up against the Dukes of Hazard Friday evening nine to ten. I don't remember the Dukes being on from nine to ten. Or on the, never mind. So anyway, uh, Death and the Dolls. This um I'm we'll gonna keep it simple so we can hop right to Tim and myself chatting. Uh, in this episode a guy is we see a guy, uh, he his wife drops him off at like a harbor a marina kind of thing. He gets in a boat, the boat explodes. We learn that this guy was a professional gambler and his daughter, I believe, hires on Wolf and Archie to find out who killed him. And as they're investigating, talking to the wife, talking to the daughter, talking to the daughter's guy, talking to this other guy, the gambling dead guy used to work with, this, that, and the other, someone begins to bump off people involved with the gambling guy. And it's up to Archie and it's up to Wolf to stop any more people from dying. And figure out what the heck is going on. And dolls are involved. And death. You already knew that, but death and the dolls, dolls are involved. So feel free to um listen to a little blast of this, and Tim and I are on the other side. Death and the dolls. Episode eleven of Nero Wolf. We're, we're getting near the end-ish of the show, everybody. And this one this one is a, is more is a more straightforward mystery than the previous one, Gambit, which is kind of a kind of a um, fiddling around with the formula as it were trying something new Um, but we do have with us as always Mr. T.S. Turner who has joined us to discuss Death and the Dolls Mr. Turner how are you
2: I'm doing very well how are you
1: I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Um, I um let let let's dive right in. I I feel like in the last one I went on far too long about the Brady Bunch. So this time, <laughs> this time I'm gonna uh you know go on endlessly about family. I don't know eight is enough. I don't know. I'll, I'll find something to go on endlessly about family feud. How about that? No. Um. <laughs> let me just. What did you think of this one? Uh, who, the name I've forgotten already. Gambit two more Gambit. What I say? Death and Death the, Death the dolls? dolls. Yes. What did you think of this one? Um
2: I gotta be honest with you, I remember I, I, I loved Gambit so much and um I watched these back to back and wow this was such a downer. I was oh. just a dud. I, I didn't mm. care for this at all.
1: Mm. I um <clears throat> I did appreciate that uh they they kind of went back to the mystery format. However, it's <clears throat> the tricky we try not to ruin what's going on, but the trickiest thing about this one is at the end of it they put pull, pull a little It's a switcheroo they pull a little something yes. on us at the end. And the problem with it is it's it's funny, actually with the switcheroo they pull, this almost makes this episode sort of as atypical as gambit. And I am can I ruin it? Do you mind, Mr. Turner, sir? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. I was so, gonna do it anymore. <laughs> okay. So what happens is, you know, you heard you heard my plot right breakdown. What happens is the guy who blows up in the thing who I'm going to call Tim Turner. No, I, forgot, I forget his name. But the guy who blows <laughs> up in the thing, he, he doesn't really blow up in the thing. He he uh, did this in order to get the jewels. And the people he kills are people he has to sort of get out the way in order to get the jewels and escape from his life. And the t- tricky thing is that in a murder mystery, which this is meant to be, you are presented with a m- murder... And then you are presented with a series of suspects and clues, and you're you're meant to it specifically like this uh, something like this like a like a Nero Wolf, like a Sherlock Holmes like a, like a Poirot uh, you know Miss Marple uh, like a John Dixon car novel with Gideon Fell something like that. Um, you're meant to be presented with the suspects, and you're meant to be given the clues. So when you get to the end, you can be like, okay, I think this person is it. Then the good writers will make it so you, this person is it, and then they'll pull a little woo-hoo on you, and they'll just go la-la-la-la, and suddenly you'll be like, oh, it was that (laughs) person, and that makes sense. The problem with this is that when you spend the whole episode pretending like one of these people are the suspects and all of them are red herrings – but you present it as a murder mystery, then you've cheated the people who think it's a murder mystery. Because the person who got killed didn't get killed. And that means that it's all baloney. Now, if this were a show like, say, like earlier today I was watching some Harry O. If this hmm. Harry, Harry O isn't specifically murder mysteries, Harry O is a detective. So if you got an ending like this in a Harry O where like, he brings the suspects together, and he doesn't know who the killer is, and then all of a sudden the person who he thought was dead shows up. It would be like, oh, wow. It would be like hopefully a good ending, and Harry would flip a table at him, punch him in the face, throw him out a window. You know Harry. And all the all the time he'd be in those little shorts that he used to wear when he was on the beach. And, oh,
2: God. And, um
1: God. <laughs> um, but but the thing about a Nero wolf is a Nero wolf is meant to be a murder mystery. There are supposed to be clues that lead to something. And if the killer isn't any of the suspects, then none of the clues lead anywhere that we can follow. And having the killer suddenly be, um, oh, it was the guy we thought was killed is interesting, but a uh, cheat, I think. And also shows, again, maybe like with Gambit, where they were trying to do different things, maybe they wouldn't specifically stick to the sort of murder mystery rules, as it were. Because if you spend your... Like, if if, if murder on the Orient Express ended with suddenly finding out that the person who you thought got stabbed like 18 times actually... Killed himself? No, that doesn't make sense. But you know what I mean. If, if like, <laughs> th- think of think of a famous um, a murder mystery, and just think like, if if in the end the person you thought was killed after a couple hundred pages of clues and suspects came forward and said, "I'm not dead after all. I did this." Then that means everything you read is all red herrings. Everything can't be a red herring. Um, <laughs> in a murder mystery, everything can't be a red herring. Something has to. I mean, there is. There are brief moments here and there that kind of point to it. And there is like a really – cup there are a couple of good moments where he ki- – like when he kills the drunk guy who works at the marina. That's oh, the sailor, of, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a nice moment where it's almost like, ooh, you know. Uh, we mentioned this in the last episode, kind of like, you know, Cat the canary sort of thing. Like one of you will die by dawn. Is it – you know, is it you – is it one of you going to kill the other or is there someone else here? You could do that in like an old dark house or something like that. But in a murder mystery, you shouldn't do that, you know. And it's just, it's, it's, it's tricky because it ends up just feeling. I, I'm, I'm sorry to go on about, it, but it ends up just feeling weird when you get to the end. Like, and, and even like, Wolf calls everyone together. He reveals some facts, and then Kramer says, "Well, who's the killer? Everyone leave. You'll find out later." What? Is that one of these yeah. people the killer? What's yeah, going that was and, ridiculous. And and it's, it's 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 tricky at the end because there is some stuff in this that is pretty good. But the ending sort of it doesn't it doesn't work. Uh, and and you know like Gambit is one thing. Gambit was another genre. This is playing around with sort of the detective thing, but this is more like a Philip Marlowe or like pulling a twist on you. Something you don't. You you need to play fair with the audience in something like this, and so, and, and ending it like this is fun, but also like, eh, no. So that that's kind of my <laughs> pro, that's kind of my problem with it.
2: I think I think uh, the the Philip Marlowe comparison is, is a good one. It, it, there's a lot of that kind of uh, uh, convoluted. Big sleep, kind of feel yes. to that uh, ending, and um, <clears throat> I will say, regardless of the how, like you know, silly the whole thing is, of like oh, he's not really dead. Uh, I thought the way they did the climax was actually pretty well done. Yes, it um, actually,
1: is nicely done. Yeah, they I
2: think. they did a great thing where he realizes he's like, don't go out there you know like you're you're gonna get killed or whatever and he kind of looks at him and he says well everybody thinks i'm dead all, anyway that was and, nice yes and he looks down the hall and there's a great shot that's a tracking shot that slowly tracks towards the front of the brownstone as he then it, you know and then he walks to it and i thought that was really well done for some reason out of nowhere it felt like oh wow there's a mobile camera all of a yes, sudden yes, instead yes. of just st- standing in one place. <laughs> yes. Um, and I thought that was well done. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there's, there's a but, bit of pathos uh, in, in the end, which is kind of nice where the guy realizes, I've been a jackass for a long time. Yeah, now's I'm the time to garbage. stop. <laughs> yeah, now's, now I should stop. And it's kind of uh, talking to Wolf that does that.
2: I will say, and I you know, you're a smart guy, Dan, so I, try, I know I try. that just like me, as soon as they're like, oh, yeah, here's uh, these dolls that were given, you know, to uh, to Laura or whatever, like, diamonds are in the dolls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, immediately, I looked over at my girlfriend, I go, diamonds are in the dolls. <laughs> She's like, oh, my
1: God, I hate watching things with you. I would never have said that out loud. I would have thought that. <laughs> I would have thought there must be something going on with the dolls. I don't. I I am very good at deluding myself for as long as possible. That's one of my joys. Joy when I watch a murder mystery is I can like, and when it ends, I'll be like, yeah, okay, yeah. But um, I, yeah, no, that that's kind of the thing. The moment you see the dolls and oh, these two special dolls and stuff, and you're like, and where are the jewels? Especially, yes. like like when you. If 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 you like look at the, the 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 like the music teacher like and where did the jewels go and the music teacher is looking on his face like mm. well they were willed to the daughter it's like um might they be in the dolls no no one says that but you know it's sort of like mm, yeah okay I get it
2: well get they it. they light like the dolls when they're on the shelf like in yes. this way where you can't you can't miss them
1: yes you know. <laughs> And the episode it's so is called ridiculous it, it, it is a it is a bit much. In an episode that has a, a few moments like a few of the moments where the people are attacked, like the, the old guy and the other guy who um who lives, the um the boyfriend of the, the daughter. A couple of those things are pretty yeah. pretty nicely done. And like you said, the closing scene where the guy goes into Wolf's office and talks to him is, is nicely like where are the jewels? Long pause. They're in my safe, and it's is a very nicely done scene, and then it ends well. But um, mixed in with every moment that um, is decent, uh, is a moment that is a little bit like um, eh, I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think that final scene uh, that we we kind of both keep going back to. I the I think the acting by our killer and by Conrad in that scene it's just it, it it's interesting cuz it feels like a step above what you're used to on the show yeah and you know let's be honest Conrad could sell anything with that voice yes yeah and he yeah. knows he knew he had a great voice and he knew how to use it and um I, I, like we've discussed in the past like you know when he was the original Marshall Dillon on the radio yeah. Gunsmoke when you listen to that you're like oh my God, what a great... tells sells a lot of those episodes in a way that just, like, no other actor could.
1: Mm-hmm. And he... And in, in that final scene, you you really do get the feeling that, like, after a lifetime of this guy being a jackass, like, just talking to Wolf there, like, man-to-man in the dark for, like, three or four minutes might have... might have changed his mind. And it does. And, and you kind of get... Which is nice. Um... But then the episode at the end, it's like a sort of schizophrenic weird thing where they're, I don't know, I don't know. And the, the, pro- the problem, okay, let me just let me just say the episode does this twice, and then and then after I discuss this, let's talk about uh, what you think of Wolf in Love or Wolf Remembering Being in Love. Mm. Um, but the episode does something twice that a, a short-lived show. That we have talked about on this podcast that came out a year after this would make fun of, and that is there is a scene early on where the wife of the man who was in the explosion, and I'll say he was in the explosion. Uh, I don't think that's that's wrong. You know, he was in the vicinity. He was closer to the explosion than anyone else, but Fish, so he was in the <laughs> explosion. Um, where she she sits down next to, so they're talking about. Archie's talking to her about her husband, and her husband was a gambler. And she sits down next to Archie and more or less says, do you have any idea what it's like to be married to a compulsive gambler? And then at the (laughs) end of the episode, the the guy says to Wolf, when they are discussing the woman that Wolf was in love with, do you have any idea what it's like to be the son to a woman like that, or whatever it is? And both times, both times... I was hoping that Wolf or Goodwin would say – or Archie would say, yes, I do, and begin to tell a story um, because <laughs> I'm thinking of Police Squad. I was just going to say you were best... – you had be calling that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 and and that's like in the first episode of Police Squad, possibly the best episode of Police Squad. Yes. I, I think so. I think, so. I, I think I love, so. I love all six of them, but I think the first <laughs> one is the most concentrated uh, one, um, but in that first episode – Possibly my favorite scene in all six episodes is the scene where uh, he and his boss go to visit Mrs. Twice. Yes. And her her husband has just been killed. Um, apparently, he was robbing a bank or a savings alone loan or whatever it is. And there's a moment where she's crying and she says something like, "Do you have any idea what it's like to live with such a wonderful man?" And Frank says, "Yes." And I forget exactly what he says, but it's like, "I live yeah. with a man. I live with a man for a few years." He was a gym teacher, but he had a mind. Yeah. And people didn't understand. They drove him out of town like a common pygmy. Yeah. Lived with his son for a while. Wasn't the same. It's true. You can never go back. And it's just so great because she asks oh, a question that, that's like a detective trope, which is you ask something that's kind of stupid. And Did you you know what it's like to be married to a compulsive gambler? Um, I would bet Archie's answer, as he doesn't have a wedding ring, and he's probably like 30 or younger, or I don't quite know, his answer is probably no. But I love the fact that in that episode of Police Squad, not only does Frank say yes – but he has a heart-wrenching story that is the funniest effing thing. And as as Mrs. Twice is crying, and 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 they they all sort of go off. And the, the great thing about that scene is they all go off in their um, Groucho Marx, uh, Animal Crackers, strange interludes. And so the yeah. Mrs. Twice is off in her side crying, and Frank is sort of like facing the camera. He had a mind. And meanwhile, his boss is saying something like. <laughs> Did he owe debts to anyone? Gambling, the mafia, book of the month club, stuff like that. And and they're all kind of doing this different thing, which is gorgeous. And then you see they do this twice in the Nero Wolf episode. This, do you know what it's like to be married to to a woman who is like that? <laughs> no, of course he doesn't. Why do you state it like that? I love it. I love it because, I mean, it's it's it's... It's a tricky moment because in that scene, the the actress I think is very good and I, she's very she looks very familiar. I forgot to look who, up who she is, um, but the wife, but the moment she says do you know what it's like to be married to a compulsive gambler? I started laughing and laughing. <laughs> and I was like, he had a mind. Drove him out of town like a common pygmy. And it's just, <laughs> we would have been here sooner, but your husband wasn't dead then. Yes, and that's it, my favorite line of the best, whole episode. Best line, best line ever. I and mean, that's just like that, it, <laughs> like, that two to three minutes of comedy, that whole scene, uh, you could tell him he went to daddy heaven. Uh, tell me, you know, tell me, got traded to the Cubs for Willie Stargell or something. You know, and I forget what they say. You know, yeah. but it's 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 such a great scene. And the the tricky thing about this episode is that through no faults of its own, it made me think of that episode. <laughs> um, sorry, Death and the Dolls. You have you have too many characters. I think that are too that I had a bit of a tough time picking out from one another. And, a few t- and, and none of your characters actually are doing anything wrong in the end. <laughs> no. So it ends up just being – it ends up being a murder mystery where no one involved in the investigation is actually sort of not part of the – I won't say part of the investigation because they are technically part of it. But they're not part of the mystery. The mystery is somewhere else.
2: Oh, and the end has that really awkward scene where the daughter – goes to uh, visit her stepmom who she's hated through the whole episode oh, yes. mm-hmm. and accuse her of murder and they have this really weird moment where they're like is there anything I can do to make it up to you that I was so terrible to you and she's like yes you can give your stepmom a kiss
1: yeah! and I was like, oh, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have to uh right there on the on, the DVD freezes up and you have to um uh, point out that you are 18 or over at that yeah. point to watch the rest of the
2: scene. She approaches her in this really slow, uh, slow Yeah. And they go and you expect it's going to be like a peck on the cheek. No, no, no. Straight for the lips. It's a good one. And I was it's...
1: like, "Wow." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's some subtext in this episode. Yes, there's something going on. There's some <laughs> And 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 not only is it that scene but they have a scene together earlier yeah. where they discuss stuff that's kind of important to the plot but the problem is Archie and Wolf aren't there. So so I mean
2: right, so they don't hear it.
1: So they don't hear it. So it's like, "Well, I think he killed himself. I think he did." And she says, "I think he did that himself." Yeah. And you're like, "Huh? He committed suicide." You know, like, oh, "Okay, sure. but then in the end you learn he did do it himself." but but they're not it's it's
2: i don't know i don't know it's two episodes in a row uh, i think we our our, uh, our villain uh, commits suicide basically
1: oh yeah that's right
2: yeah. indirectly
1: yeah wow okay well i guess um did you have anything else on this one i'm trying to i'm looking at my notes here seeing um uh no i i don't think so. really. i will
2: say that you know with the with gambit you know, like I said, we had all the characters really interacting. This one, we barely see Fritz or Theodore at all. Um, oh, yes, yeah. And this is also, I think, is this three episodes in a row where uh, we haven't seen uh, Saul?
1: Yes, yeah. One, two, I think, yeah, definitely two. I'm forgetting what was before that one, but I'm, yes. No, no, he's in, he is in What Happened to April, isn't he? I think he is, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. But, but it's been two episodes, which is weird. Why isn't, why? why isn't he in this he could he could help archie out i
2: don't know let's let's be honest he his character hasn't really done much during
1: the course of the series really i think he's going to pick up in the last three i think he's he's, really really going to come into his own in the last three um (laughs) uh so so yeah i I guess our thoughts on this episode is um uh what (laughs) i don't know i got four (laughs) thousand thoughts just give me your final thoughts on this one real quick
2: (laughs) Ah, uh, I, I just felt it was. It just was. I guess dull is just kind of it, okay. It, yeah. it, it had some stuff that really worked. There were a couple of moments, and you know, again, the climax to me was the best part. That actually, it almost felt like it was from a, a, another show. Mm, almost, uh, yeah, maybe it can was. It was on another there. level, um, yeah. from like your the, the usual, you know, network mystery fair, but. Yes. Overall, it just kind of felt flat to me.
1: Okay, yeah, I think um, I like I watched this one. I watched this one three times. I watched Gambit three times. I watched this one three times, and by the third time, I was alternately getting into it and losing interest in it at the same time, which is tricky.
2: <laughs> that that was
1: happening. Uh, but but You're I man of I'm, mystery, Dan. Yeah, it's um so it's a, uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's not a great. That's a tricky thing with the show. Is it's really you never know what you're going to get next. And this one, I think it, I think it has some good moments in it, definitely. Um, but it's also, I, I hate to say it, but I think maybe if it was ten minutes shorter, it might be better. I don't know. But when you get to the when you get to the end, like I said, it it is a cheat. But also the cheat scene is probably the best scene. Which makes it all a little more tricky. Well, you know and so, what it
2: reminds me of—the more I think about it, it kind of feels like a, uh, a, an American TV version of, of a Jalo. Oh, if you think about. Oh it. yeah, because you're always seeing the black glove. Black glove. Yes. Doing you know like hitting the guy in the head and, mm. and uh, you know picking him up the, the the one guy up and throwing him off the dock and. Um, mm. So it, it kind of has that feel oh. where, you know, especially with the whole re- reveal at the end, that's very jollo esque so
1: That's super jollo. Yeah, I was going to say maybe like a Cat of Nine Tails and William Conrad and um – um who oh crap, I'm forgetting everyone who was it. You know Cat of Ninetales, the Dark, Gentle film. Who was oh, it was Carl uh, um,
2: Malden? Carl um,
1: Malden instead James of William Con- Yeah, and and James Franciscan instead of Lee Horsley and they're trying to find out who's doing these creepy killings and there's this weird family dynamic and all this other stuff going on and Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I could see that, yeah, being a uh, giallo like because the joy of the giallo is that when you get to the end, it doesn't really need to make sense
2: no
1: (laughs) logically it just just needs to be entertaining and and as long as it's entertaining and I mean it does have that thing too giallo's do have that thing too where like you know you can catch all the clues in a really well made giallo and they're not going to make sense until it's explained whereas in a murder mystery the clues you see should allow you in theory to explain everything but the, the like a giallo is like you know you'll you'll see you know um, you, you know you'll see a um, like a necklace or you'll see like a, a painting hidden behind a wall you know or or or, or something like or, or like a diary with entries that don't make sense and in the end someone will come along and say okay this was the painting is this is what the diary is and the necklace was this and like oh okay it's not a mystery per se it's um. I don't even know what you call that because that's not a mystery if, if you can't... It is a mystery but it's not... I don't even know. I don't know. What do you <laughs> call that? What, I mean, I guess you call it a jello but other other uh, sort of things like this do that too where you get random clues that mean nothing until it's explained and then yeah. when it's explained you're like, okay, but that's not a mystery because it Or is it a mystery? I guess it's a... I don't know what is it called, folks. Please tell me what it's called. Because I always think that when I watch a Giallo, like a, like a good one, like you know, like there'd be no way, you know, like like Bird with the Crystal Plumage, you know, there's sort of a big moment at the beginning of that that is explained to the end, and you're like, oh wow, nice. But you think, how would I have known that? And you <laughs> wouldn't have, you wouldn't have known that. So I guess that that's a mystery. Is there another? I, I, uh- Is
2: there another term? Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, I've always felt that with the the it's more about the journey than the ending. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And because it's uh, most jalos are about you know uh, set pieces.
1: Yes. You
2: know, some creative murder that's gonna happen. Clearly, you know, nine times out of ten, the the, the killer's got to have a you know a straight razor or something. Yes. uh, wow, you know, yeah. that, that's kind of what, like it felt like to me. It did feel like it was kind of a watered down jollo for television.
1: Could be, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, wow, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking, like, yes, some. I do love a good jalo, folks, and I think you do Tim, too, Tim.
2: Oh God, uh, yes,
1: I have like eighty of them. Yeah, yeah. Say, I adore them. I want but, but you, you do get the occasional Jallo. Yeah. Well, I, you know, you know what's like an interesting um, Jell that might. Um, uh, and this is going to be a slightly weird one, but that kind of fits the mold of this episode. Is there's one called Giallo in Venice? Oh, my from... God.
2: That was that pretty. Oh, Gi- wow. Giallo in
1: Venice has lots of red herrings. Oh, yeah. And at the beginning, it has two people being killed. And the movie is ostensibly about finding out how they got killed. But I'm not going to give it away, but something else begins to happen. And then it does one of those great things where in the opening scene you see this really strangely cut scene where these two people die or, or you see one person die violently and then but then you find two people dead and then at the end of the movie they show the full scene and you see everything that happens yeah. and, and it's sort of like it, this is sort of like that there's no way you know that that's what was happening even when you learn the final facts that lead up to that scene being seen in full at the end, you still don't quite know that that's what's going to happen. And I'm not saying everyone, like, look, I have the Blu-ray of Giallo in Venice because I'm a big old perv, and I apologize. (laughs) And and I think the guy who made it made Patrick Still Lives, which is also a super pervy film, which will be out on Blu-ray soon from Severin, I think, is releasing it. Um, but I, So I'm not saying you run out and see Gio in Venice because it's alternately super sleazy and gory. And oh, oh, yeah. I love it. I love it so much. That, that,
2: oh, that one murder on the kitchen table?
1: Oh, with uh, the woman from uh, Burial Ground. Um, yes. The, the mom. She gets her boob bitten off in Burial Ground and she yes. has things happen to her. And Gio in Venice and Patrick still lives that my mother is so angry that I showed her those movies last time I saw her. Oh, my God, what are you doing? She will not. She's like, why did you show me these? And I said, I'm sorry. I thought I brought Gone with the Wind. I'm so sorry, Mom. And she's like, I knew it wasn't Gone with the Wind when the movie began with this guy who wasn't Clark Gable getting stabbed in the crotch ten times. And I said, I thought this was the director's cut.
2: I, I I still remember the day my mom, uh, who has a tendency to just show up randomly, uh, <laughs> you know, like walked in right in the middle of this uh, scene in Doctor Butcher, MD. Oh, <laughs> which one? The vocal cords, or, or
1: was it which one?
2: <laughs> I don't even remember. I just remember it was one of the more gruesome scenes. Yeah. and she just flipped out. And it kind of see that's her new thing. In the past, when I was you know uh, much younger. It was like, "Hey, mom, I can't wait for you to walk in uh, during uh, any time that there's uh, a sex scene or breasts on the screen."
1: Yes, thank you. <laughs> I, just, I, just, uh, uh, I was talking to my mom. I will wrap this up, folks. I was talking to my mom <laughs> yesterday, and 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 I was I was saying something, and I said to. They, my mom and my stepdad asked, what are you going to do this evening? Because my wife is out of town, so it's just me and George the dog. And I said, well, of course, we're going to watch For the Love of Benji. No, I didn't say that. We watch that every time. I'm sick of watching that. Sorry, George. But no, I said, I'm going to get a big sloppy pizza. I have a beer. And I'm going to watch a beautifully gory, strange, dumb horror movie. And they were on speakerphone. My stepdad was in the background, and all I heard was, "That sounds like a great evening." And <laughs> and because he, he, we used to watch when I was young. We used to watch like Dawn of the Dead and uh, Gates of Hell, the Fulci's Gates of Hell, uh, Black Christmas. He he was he used to go see all those films in the drive-in when they came out. But my mom hated them all, and yeah. I pointed out, "Mom, do you remember that? Like you would let me rent when I was." 13 or 14, you would let me rent Bloodsucking Freaks. Oh, jeez. Because you thought it was just full of gore. And you, you, and, and you remember, like, you would let me rent any movie. Like, I'd be sitting there watching Last House on the Left, like at age 14, and she'd walk down, and there'd be something horrible going on. Oh, what are you watching? Oh, Last House on the Left. Oh, have a good time. Then she'd walk back a minute later, see a boob, and be like, what are you watching? Yeah. Yeah. But mom, this, this was the same kill. movie. I was just what, and it was just like every. It's funny. I still do that, like with my wife. If I'm watching a movie and something nude happens, I'll be looking around, going, "Is she? Is my wife here? Where is she? Where is she at? I don't know. <laughs> I just it's this. I don't know if it's Catholic guilt, uh, which I grew up with. I don't know, but it's um, it's I have that happen. Yeah, <laughs> it was like mom. Do you remember all the times you let me rent horribly violent films as long as you thought they didn't have boobs in it? Oh, I remember that, Danny. Okay, thanks, one. <laughs> you are still Danny. Yeah, yep, I'm still Danny, still Danny.
2: Yeah, see uh, I, I can tell you I remember um my ex girlfriend uh, the she the day she came over to dump me, uh, oh. she walks yeah, this is a great great moment. She walks <laughs> in and I just happened to be watching um oh god, what was it? Not uh oh graduation day. Sure, yeah. And quickly or was it- yeah, well, yeah, but there was like the the one girl who was uh, doing the uh, gymnastics. Oh with yes, the, yeah, the yep. shoulder length, kind of like the brunette bob, and of course mm. they have to have a scene of her taking off her, her
1: The leotard.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, leotard, and she walks in
1: and looks at it. I'm
2: like, ah, I'm getting dumped, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: See, I mean, what what started off as a discussion about a slightly mediocre Nero Wolf um episode became a real real soul searching discussion between Tim and myself about it's been our a lives hard day, Dan. it's been a rough day so let let's wrap it up <laughs> tim do you have anything else about this one? Uh, no i don't think I'll do, so. don't worry i'll cut this out later sorry what did what what did you say
2: <laughs> i don't i don't believe i i have any more <laughs>
1: All right, so um, I'm sorry. I, I think I forgot to ask you this during Gambit, but uh, where can we find you online unless you don't want to say if your mother's listening?
2: <laughs> uh, other than the uh, certain chat rooms that I frequent. No, oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Uh, no, I I am the uh, co-host of Beauty the Beast and the Bees, uh, our podcast that I do with Kelly Hogaboom, who is a big fan of yours, Dan. Uh, oh,
1: I, I I'm a big fan of hers too.
2: Yeah, yeah and uh, we we cover mostly B movies, and we have a great time. And coming up, we're going to be covering uh, the Rental with Allison Brie. Oh. Uh and uh, a couple other uh, B films that'll be going along with that. So that's that's uh, that's going to be fun.
1: Awesome. It's it's a great show. I I, I listen to. I'm not listening to it right now because that <laughs> would be disrespectful to Mr. Turner. But it's it's a good show. I, I recommend it highly. They're they're good. They're 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 good. They're good together, which works. Um, which is something you want. You don't want you know like two douches to be. <laughs> you know, on the show. You're not going to listen to that. Um, you can take so one, but not You me. can take one douche, but you need you need to balance it out. So this was, um, this was our discussion of a Nero Wolf episode that was about dolls. I forget. Oh, dolls. Love that movie. But uh, yes. enough. It's, it's so good. It's so good. I watched it. Uh, I watched it just a, a couple... You know what the thing about dolls, and then we'll wrap it up. At the end, <laughs> I always cry at the end of Dolls. I don't know why, but when you get really? to the end, yeah, when you get to the end and like the, the dad is going crazy and and you get the um like at the end with um are you all right? Yes, I'm all right. dolls. The killer dolls. Oh, you know, and that final <laughs> scene where um they're like you can stay with us. You can stay with us for what, whatever they say and then you get that great shot with the two older folks, the two creepy but kind of yeah. lovely folks. And and the main guy, whose name I'm forgetting, who I love to pieces, who I think passed away a couple of years ago. Oh, um, yeah. Um. And, and it's on them, and they're like, you can stay with us. And you can't see the little girl, but you hear her voice. And she says, well, I have to get back to school, but maybe we can come to see you next summer. And it's like, <laughs> I remember when I, when I first saw that movie, In, like, 1990, I was 16, and when I saw a little girl in it, I thought, oh, this is like Cousin Oliver all over again. This is going to stink. But she's so good, and the two of them together are such an unlikely fun couple in the movie, and they're so funny, and it's so fun to watch. And this has nothing to do with Nero Wolfe. Um Maybe I'll do a minute-by-minute podcast on dolls, and Tim, you can join me. And if Kelly wants to oh, join me, she can go. join me, too. That would be fantastic. We could all do a big totally – do that. We could all do a big – it's only like 78 minutes, so it's – Is so, it even that long? It's, <laughs> uh, I think – I want to say 78, 77 and 78. Yeah, it's so, pretty short. Yeah, which is wonderful, which suits it perfectly. So um, let us stop talking now. I'm going to sign us off and we are go- where are we? I don't know. Um we're going on to something. Oh, I know. Uh, we're going to we're actually I'm going to talk about this. <laughs> The Air Episode Two. This one is written by uh, Mark Frost, co-creator, and directed by Leslie Linka Glatter, who she directed tons of stuff. That's Homeland, um, uh, Madman. Uh, she did four episodes of Twin Peaks, and she will be back. I think she did one in the first season, and then I think three in the in the next one, second one. And she will she will actually be back later. I think she's the only person here who directs... Um, no, wait, Jack Fist directs, too. So she, her and Jack Fist are the only people who direct... Well, there are only seven episodes. So I guess that's not going too crazy to say that in seven episodes they have two people direct. For, ah, shut up, Dan. So she's here, and she's excellent. Her her episodes of Twin Peaks are very good. Um, and it's interesting to see here. Obviously, David Lynch isn't co-writing this or, or or directing it. So it has a very different... It's It has a very different feel, but it also has a... Very similar feel, if that um, makes sense. Um, I I, w- I will say someone pointed out to me that um, you know as I'm using sound clips for this one, and again I apologize. Um, I am taking sound clips from a DVD-R I have, which is a copy from a Japanese laser disc. That my computer is not working with me. Um, re- reading to to take sound bites. So I'm actually old-fashioned good old-fashioned style i feel like one of the um uh i feel like a doctor who fan in the 60s with a big tape recorder and i got it just set up in front of the tv with my mic well not the tape recorder the my laptop and i'm doing the sound bites so the sound bites are not the best sound quality um, but the copy is a copy of a copy of a copy on dvdr anyway so Um, but someone did say uh they like the sound bites so much so that when i start talking it was a little, <laughs> they wanted to hear more of it. So, you know, you can find the episodes. They are easy to find. Uh, well, I found them fairly easily, and sometimes they do they might be up on youtube again they, they sometimes they pop up online really easy to watch then they vanish then they pop up again then they vanish and there was a vhs um as i mentioned that was put out back in like the mid 90s with all seven uh episodes and the episodes get shorter i mean like the, the first episode uh, the pilot episode is i think like tw- i want to say about 26 minutes long 25 minutes long i think and then um uh, the this episode is 23 so they get a little shorter um, when they go to network um uh, but, but yeah so so there will be sound bites on here and they're they're awesome and they're lots of fun and then when it comes back to me please don't be terribly disappointed I I, I, just, I don't think i I don't think I really said that with any of the show so far but um um yeah I said that with joni Loves Shachi. I'm kidding or did I anyway um cobra no so what happens in this episode is it's a little tough to tell. To me, it looks like it's the day after the previous episode. I could be wrong on that um, because mail has arrived. So so um, it's it's tricky because it what it looks like to me when the episode begins is it looks like the next day, like at a theater kind of thing, where, like, the reviews have come in and the telegrams are here and everything like that. And that's what it looks like. People are sending flowers uh, because uh, Betty's a success, uh, the Lesser Guys show. And but it's 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 a little tough to tell because people are sending our, their letters to so this is this is presumably probably not the next day but definitely not a week later because they're still re- they're still like sitting in chairs rehearsing the next episode so this is two or three days after uh the previous episode ends lester guy show is a big hit uh, everybody loves betty uh, so so yeah. So Betty is getting all this uh, stuff, and she's a little seems a little confused by it. And um, forgive me, Ruth. The um, I think Ruth. Is she she is is, Ruth, is She's production assistant. On Lester guy she's the one that understands what a uh, uh, David Lander's character says. but she shows up and she's talking to um, Betty about all these letters and telegrams she's received and everybody loves her and she's a huge hit and let me play a little clip of this. this is uh, Lester is walking by Betty's uh, dressing room and sees all this stuff.
0: morning Good morning Mr. Guy Mr morning Did someone die? These have all come for Betty in appreciation of her performance on our first show. Ah. Oh, and I believe this is for you, Mr. Guy. It was delivered to Betty mistakenly. I believe it's from the owner of the network, Mr. Zablatnik himself. Oh, he knows of my love for arid climbs. I have a cactus garden at home. Inside? Isn't that dangerous? Mr. Zablatnik is so thoughtful. Did he send you anything, Betty?
3: Gesundheit. Good Thank tight. Thank you. Thank you.
0: These flowers are rough on my... Gesundheit. Allergies. Good morning, Andrea. Ah, wow, what a fantastic display of flowers, It looks to me like my own glass sometimes. Thanks for bringing me down, McDonough. Betty Hudson. Mr. Zablotek, the owner of our network asked me to deliver these to you personally. Uh. Dear Betty, God bless you. You saved the show after Lester's unfortunate accident. <laughs> Won't you please be my guest for dinner tonight? I will send the car for you at 8 o'clock. Here's truly items of love. how charming. <laughs> how charming. Isn't that? <laughs> Betty, that's so exciting. Betty, if my uncle wants to take you out to Denmark,
3: most Morse mine has big plans
0: for you. Betty. I hope you can appreciate the smiling hand of fate that has blown good fortune in your direction. In fact, today I would have to consider you the luckiest woman on earth.
3: Where is he sending the car?
0: To your apartment. But I I live on the seventh floor. The car will be waiting for you outside on the street. Oh, is he giving it to me? No. It's just to take you to dinner. But I don't drive. Excuse me? Would somebody be good enough to ring the doctor?
1: Uh, the big guy, um, whose name I'm forgetting I, There are a lot of people in this Shorty, it's Shorty, right? The big guy Shorty He, he put a huge bunch of balloons In uh, Betty's closet And uh, Lester with a giant cactus When he, he gets Discouraged at the end, goes into the room And that's what all the popping's about So uh, we immediately go from then To Mr. Mr. Budwaller, the president uh, Talking to Lester about Betty's success
0: a caller from Minot, South Dakota. I never liked Lester Guy in the movies. I like him even less on TV. He's a big, phony baloney. What do they know in South Dakota? They know what they like. If they knew what they like, they wouldn't be in South Dakota. It doesn't matter where they're calling from, Lester. The point is seven out of 10 of them are saying the same thing. The reason they tuned in the Lester Guy show in record numbers was to watch some blonde nitwit named Betty Hudson sing a song about a bird in a tree. I was sabotaged. Les, let me make one thing perfectly clear. I'm on your side. I'm the genius that talked old man's a blotnake into shelling out the big bucks for your contract. That is my Mr. Squiggly up there on the chopping block right next to yours. So don't you start with me. I say, sometimes I think I never should have left the movies. listen to me, pal. When I found you at that motor motel on Santa Monica Boulevard slurping vodka out of a frozen orange juice can, you couldn't have hocked your movie career for a ham sandwich and a box of pretzels. You were washed up, Benito Mussolini, face down, belly up. I say, right. The only reason I schmoozed Mr. Z into giving you this gig is his freakish, sentimental attachment to a second-rate musical you made 12 years ago when every other able-bodied male over the age of seven was off fighting the war. Piccadilly Circus? (sighs) He liked Piccadilly Circus? He's nuts about it. He screens it at least once a week. Some of my best work? You never told me. (laughs) (laughs) So Blotnick doesn't know from movies, but he knows Piccadilly Circus. Then don't you think it's rather odd? He never wanted to meet me. His English isn't too good. He's embarrassed to meet actors. He thinks actors make up what they say by themselves, that they're too witty and droll for him to keep up. Then why does he want to meet Betty Hudson? That's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know. I can't recall this ever happened before. I thought you were saying I shouldn't worry. Lester, worry. Really? What should I do? What should we do? What should we do? Betty Hudson is a mistake on every level, including genetic. She is not an actress. She is not the star of this show. She is a receptionist waiting to happen. What would you do? Well, well, I... I will think about it. I will, too. With my brains in your...
1: So yeah, they're going to try down, uh, bring down Betty with the help of Nicole, who is the rather sycophantic, uh, she's the head of comedy, I believe she's the head of comedy for the Zablotnik Network, if I am thinking that correctly. Nicole, yes, head of of comedy for the Zablotniks, and basically the plan they uh sort of come up with now they have a scene where they're all practicing the um uh rehearsing a scene from the episode something to do with the spy stuff and it's really ridiculous and they're all sitting in like director's chairs and um is it mickey or um geez i'm forgetting the it's it's mickey and blinky no it's yes it's blinky Blinky is the guy who has Bozeman simplex and we do see him at one point um, and the cam and and the voiceover that from the last one says he has Bozeman simplex. Uh, we also see the hurry up twins go by, and someone just voices just like the hurry up twins, which is interesting. But Mickey is the visual effects, the prop guy, and he gives uh, Lester a big suitcase, sort of like a sp- special spy suitcase. Now, granted, this is 1957, so this is um, long before the James Bond spy stuff uh, that would take over circa 64. Um, but uh, there was there were spies in. In the '50s, and it's great because um, it's 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 very interestingly done. Because it's um because sometimes this episode looks like it's a standard episode of a sitcom, but other times it clearly is taking the piss, uh, taking the wind out of the sails of of a sitcom episode. It should probably have a laugh track then if it's doing that. But then the thing is like if you if you did this to make fun of sitcoms and then put a laugh track on it, it would be like. Bruce Springsteen writing Born in the USA as kind of not quite a protest song but it's sort of not quite a not a pro-USA song but then setting it to big patriotic music you're going to get idiots who hear it hear the title And immediately think it's a it's a big patriotic theme song, regardless of what the lyrics say. And then you know if they get caught out on it, they'll blame you know Bruce for doing that. I think this would be the same thing if they put a laugh track on it and they were making fun of sitcoms. You're going to get a lot of people who will think oh this is just a dumb sitcom. Then when people actually said well actually it's it's kind of playing with the conventions. Well, then it shouldn't have had a laugh track. That was stupid. So, so I'm glad it doesn't have a laugh track. But at the same time, it it can be a little tough to gauge what it's up to. But and so he he says to M- Mickey. Mickey says to. um uh, guy, you know, don't uh, don't push these two buttons at the same time And he says very clearly Because it lets, out a, uh, it lets out the fake poison gas It'll make you laugh a lot and act stupid And Lester, of course, immediately presses the buttons And begins laughing a lot and acting stupid And every time he hits his head against the wall It makes a boink, boink You heard some sound effects in the last thing And Betty's still very worried about uh, Dinner with Mr. Zablotnik yeah, she can't say his name, and um, there's a, there's a great scene where, um, and I know I'm over explaining it, but um, I'm just going to talk about these anyway. So so let me let me do it. There's a great scene where the car comes to pick up Betty, and the chauffeur. Is um, And Betty's very nervous. She's chomping down the chiclets, and she's saying, should I sit up front with you? And the chauffeur is like, oh, my gosh, you you know, you're one of his special guests. He has special guests like you lovely women two to three times a week. Don't mention his wife. Don't mention his, you know, hairpiece. You know, tomorrow morning when you leave his um, apartment after spending the night in his penthouse, you know, you won't uh, you won't see me again because he always sends you in the gals in a taxi and just making Betty more and more nervous. Of course, almost immediately we see that it's Lester. Somehow is commandeered uh, Put on a mustache and commandeered the limo Which is great but Then Betty gets into the restaurant Giuseppe's uh, Seafood um, And the great thing about Giuseppe's Seafood is Mr. Giuseppe runs the place And all of his waiters And as busboys and things Are all named Giuseppe So he's Mr. Giuseppe And they're all their first names are all Giuseppe Which I like And Betty is very nervous And she won't take her coat off And she's afraid of Mrs. Zablotnik, And then she ends up kind of like passing out when Mrs. Blotnick shows up, and here's a little sound bite. He he basically she's passed out in the booth, and he's kind of leaning over, to try to unbutton her her coat. Um, not not salaciously, maliciously, um, but because he thinks she's very warm. And so here here is um the the opening scene between um, uh, Mr. Blotnick and Betty at Giuseppe Seafood.
0: You must be boarding up because it's kitchen. <laughs> it covers. Should I? worry? I'm nervous enough as it is. We couldn't very well have the proud discovery of my nighed shell. Get ill and miss the next program. Mm. could we? Mm.
2: We you fit and string. It's very nice, Mr. Cosplay. Oh.
3: Mr. Tubbles. Mr. Tubbles! <gasps> Patty!
0: You're incredible! You just numbered my train for red kisses!
1: Oh, thank you very much! Hey! Just... Excuse me, I'm so sorry! gee, gigi, woo! Salatiratari
0: is ready! We're very hungry! Pronto, senor! What is it, Patty?
2: I feel like I've seen him somewhere before.
0: (laughs) Oh! Have you been here before?
2: I don't
1: think so. And yes, the uh the waiter is Lester, and Mr. Bud Waller is sitting at a nearby table with like a big menu up in front of his face except when it's not and and Betty almost keeps catching him and Nicole is in the back room um with uh they they have put like a listening device into an olive which Mr. Doblatnik eats thinking it's a pit. And uh, she's in the back room listening to their conversation. They're trying to figure out why he likes Betty. And it seems really that he just likes Betty. He he liked her performance. He liked her song. He's, uh, you know, he just wants to make sure that, you know, she's happy. Uh, at Zablock... Zablock... <laughs> I know how you feel, Betty. The Zablotnik Network. So... And the episode is all such and craziness, and at the end of it, Betty's fine, and and um, you know, uh, Nicole and Bud Waller and and uh, Lester were foiled. You kind of get the feeling that's probably how the episodes are going to go in some way or another. This one's inter- interesting because actually, it's a lot of fun. Um, the 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 first, it's it's almost like the first the, 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 the pilot movie, the two hour pilot movie of tw- uh, this isn't this isn't quite going to work. Um, just because. David Lynch directed the two-hour pilot, but then he he didn't direct the second one, but he came back for the third one. But he and Mark Frost, I think, wrote the first three. So um, it doesn't quite work, but there's almost a feeling like when David Lynch is doing the first episode, um, there's so much, and there's a lot going on in here. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot going on in here, especially during the scene um, when they're rehearsing. Uh, there's a like constantly stuff going by. It's great. Like you see that little the little sign at the beginning that shows it's 1957. And at one point when um, Bud Waller is walking with Nicole, a guy walks by in the foreground with that 1957 sign, and it's kind of like 1957, and it goes by. There's a lot going on. The thing with this is it's sort of like once. I, I guess we'll go to like say the fourth episode of Twin Peaks when, you know, I don't I don't think David Lynch I think directed the first and third of the seven. But then he didn't come back to the first episode of series two, so there's kind of he he sets it rolling. Mark Frost sets it rolling, and then another director can come in who has a more. Uh, forgive me, like uh, I I don't want I don't I don't mean to denigrate because she's done uh, she's done wonderful work, but 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 um but Miss Miss Gladder who, uh, who is, who's directed tons of stuff and is it's sort of like, was well, so I I would refer to it like like this like, remember when Twin Peaks season three came out? Right? Was it two thousand seventeen? Remember how awesome. It was. I remember how incredible it was. And I remember the fact that David Lynch didn't win for director. Mark Frost and he didn't, didn't win for writing. Kyle McLaughlin didn't win for acting. And when you, look, when you look and see that he was nominated for directing, but the guy who won, like, directed, it was, I don't know, it was an episode of Homeland or, or something. It was just a random episode of some show that nobody's going to remember 10, 15, 20 years from now. They're still going to be watching. Twin Peaks Season 3, but you see that and you're like, ugh, but but you also realize that um, when you have someone like David Lynch who has such a, I mean it would be like Fellini, could you imagine like Fellini or Argento, I, I'm going to Italy, or Fulci I, I don't know why I'm going so Italy crazy right there but could you imagine like if there was a six episode series or something and the first like two were directed by Fulci or Argento or Fellini um, you would you would either need to have them be in charge of the whole thing and if they can't be as obviously david Cross, David Frost, David Lynch, there there you go, David Lynch couldn't be here um uh you would you would need to bring in someone who could f- continue the feel of it, but would also be able to calm it down and make it look and, and make it I don't, I don't want to say palatable, but but the thing about it is like on the air is crazy. I mean like I still you know I watched on the air once before i watched for this and then i watched it two more times and it's crazy every time i watch it it's crazy this is much easier to follow it's still the same world it's still the same place but it's much easier to follow part of that is and i think this was a wise choice although if you watch it on the network you wouldn't have seen this episode you would have seen the next one which i haven't watched yet i don't know how crazy that one is but this episode does an interesting thing where you see them rehearsing the next one, but this isn't about the production of an episode. This is about Betty going out to dinner with the man who owns the network and the chicanery goes on around it. There isn't... There isn't... The the thing that On the Air did the first episode, which was so great, was not only was it all the details and everything, but it was showing the rehearsal and everything worked, and then showing the actual live thing when everything went wrong and Lester went from sort of being the start of Betty did. This doesn't do that per se, but it does have a variation where... Lester is telling Betty all the horrible stuff that's going to happen to her at dinner with Mr. Zablotnik. We know it's a lie. She doesn't know it's a lie. So when she gets to the dinner with Mr. Zablotnik and all the stuff that sort of is mentioned... That is really innocuous. That's happening. She thinks is like, oh my god, what's he doing? He wants me to bring me to his penthouse. And she doesn't talk like that. You've heard her. Um, She wants to bring. I'm not going to try. You know, he wants to bring me to his penthouse, and I, his wife, and all this other stuff. And it's so. So you do get that. You do get that trope theme. I don't think that's a trope, but you get that thing happening in this episode in the same way that happened in the first episode, but sort of much calmer here and it's much more um it's much more of a sitcom uh thing because in the first episode when it happens you you not only get the live stuff you not only get the rehearsal happening and then the live stuff happening but you get all the other stuff around it whereas here it's just lester and betty in the car and he's saying all this stuff and she's listening and then generally in the restaurant. It's her and Mr. Zablotnik talking. So it's sort of like they took what was heightened craziness in part one and just brought it down two or three levels. So folks would go, okay, now I get it. Now it's not so manic. It's not so crazy. And now you can go back and watch the first episode again. It becomes even better. I love the first episode, by the way. I mean, I think this is an excellent episode. I think she did a fantastic job directing. I think Mark Frost did, a, did an excellent job writing. It's a fun episode. The thing that makes it kind of kind of goofy is at, at times it really does feel like they are. Um, it, it feels like a mix of we're making fun of sitcoms. It's it's weird because yeah, the first episode is a, a show within a show, but this is a straight up sitcom episode. You know the the sort of trope or the sort of storyline of like, like someone going on a date or someone going on a business something or something like that where um, other and other people are like jealous or other people want to find out why they got invited why they're you know why is she going on a date with him or something like this and so they're they're kind of looking seeing what's going, spying on them that kind of thing that's what this is and it's all standard, it's slightly heightened crazy it's not as. It's weird, it's not as quite as fast moving as you think it might be Like the first episode is, is kind of bullet-paced craziness This one, the jokes and the wacky flies at you pretty fast But the actual storytelling is much calmer I guess that's part of the thing that makes it a little more easy to take Than the first episode Again, I prefer the first episode But the first episode is... Like I said, the first time I watched it, the first half of the first episode, I sat there kind of like looking at it going, should I be writing all this down? I am truly not getting what's going on. But this, you know the characters a bit. Even if you don't know the name, you know their faces and you got the setup. And there isn't a live show. There's just the dinner and the rehearsal and such. And um, I think this is actually quite a wonderful second episode. If this had been... A repeat or variation of the first one, which I'm sure they'll do. I, I know they're going to get back to doing the shows. So that's that's the point of it. But I like that this this is like this is kind of taking what the first one did, but um, uh, just it, keeping keeping it manic, keeping it moving, keeping the 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 cutting is is quick the pacing is quick the editing is fast it's all going on here there and everywhere um crazy sound effects constant people like like when they're in the rehearsal scene there's kind of um hula dancers in the background random guys dressed as engines and stuff like that constant stuff going on but because because of just the subject matter of it which is standard you i don't know if I I'm sure there was an I Love Lucy episode where maybe like Ricky is going to dinner with like a prospective like dancer or singer or something for the club and and Lucy and Ethel are in the next booth spying on them, something like that. That's that's what this is, and it's funny, which is good. It um is it David Lynchy? I don't know. I I did I did I did read a I think it was on YouTube a comment or something. No, I know what you're saying, Dan. Why are you reading YouTube comments? Um. I could be wrong. It might not have been on there, but someone who would no, it wasn't on there, because it wasn't up on YouTube. That but but a few days ago, I was looking up something about on the air, and someone commenting on the first episode said, um, "This is what I've always suspected. David Lynch is a comedian," and I I think uh, I think um, yeah, you that's that's kind of comedian with a dark side to him, as as most comedians have. So. Um, Let's see what else. Let me just go into uh, some other bits about this episode. So Betty, yeah. So Betty's great in it, and she's always. I think I like the fact that Betty doesn't really seem to have an idea what's going on. Everyone else is a professional, and you—you you heard Mr. Budwaller said, you know, she's a receptionist in training. Everyone else is a professional. Everyone else has been doing this for a while. Even Lester, she's the one who seemed to have lucked out, but she's the only one who seems to connect with the public, and she's the only one that. They seem to kind of care about They don't seem to care about Lester or anything else They seem to care about Betty Whereas everyone else running around like mad Who does this for a living Is not getting it at all And I guess that's kind of why they listen in Maybe to find out Mr. Zablotnik has to say But if you can understand what Mr. P- I mean, here's the, the fun thing with Mr. Zablotnik Is pretty much everything he says Is subtitled throughout Whereas um, uh, uh, David Lander's character Mr. Zabuch I-, I always forget what his name is It's Mr. Um, Gotchick G-O-C-H-T-C-H Whereas he always has Ruth Trueworthy Ruth Truworthy Standing by Ruth Ph- okay. Ruth, true worthy, I like the worth truth, true Ruth truth true worth. I like that. Um, whereas whereas he always has Ruth standing by him translating, Mr. Zablocka does not, and um, and I like too that that when we saw and so he has subtitles. I like in the previous episode, Mrs. Blatnik Zablocka, Blotnik, Zablocka um, was kind of he either praised them all at the end of the episode. Or he uh, was breathing fire through the foam. And yes, Mr. Zoblodnik is played by Sidney Lassik, who you know from lots of things. Um, I'm just going to say The Unseen right off the top of my head. He's also in the movie uh, Pandemonium, one of the um, four early 80s first-wave slasher parodies. uh, The one directed by the man who made Alice, Sweet Alice, and... Did he do Tanya's Island? Am I wrong there? Um, Alfred Soul. And um, he's he's in the scene where Carol Kane's character and Eileen Brennan are... Um, they have the Carrie relationship. And um, the mom mentions uh, Carol Kane's dirty pillows. And um, she says, Mom, they're not dirty pillows. They're breasts. And then all of a sudden, Sidney Lassick is kind of like a bum. Is carrying, like... Actually is holding, like, dirty pillows. And they make a joke about it. It's, oh, Sidney Lassick, he's also in an X-Files... Which I didn't look up. I think it's from season four. It's near the end of season four. Oh, it's it's the big reveal episode with Scully's. Um, okay, I won't say. Yeah, because you get Leonard Betts where Betts is after Scully for something, and and it isn't revealed. Is it elegy? The one with the bowling. The guy. Um, um I want to I want to say actor. He's he was an actor. He was in Best in Show. Bulge. Um. Uh, um, when when they're doing the um, recording session at the end of Best in Show. I'm not wearing underwear. That guy, he he plays like an artistic guy who's able to like do automatic scoring or bowling pins, something or other. And his best friend at the home sort of halfway house where they stay is Sidney Lassic. So you'll know him when you see him. He He's great. He either plays really crazy guys or really odd. He's, he's fun. So he's Mr. Slotnick and he's very funny with an, hilar- an hilarious hairpiece. Ah, uh, so um I don't I don't wanna go on too long about this because I mean as crazy as the episode is and as much is going on, it's it really is a straightforward sitcom episode with extra bits thrown in there. It really it's weird how much I mean, like I mentioned Born in the USA, I almost want to mention like Steely Dan. You know, like Steely Dan used to say, like, um I think they lost this as they went along. They got to the end of the eighties, but early on it was like they would write these lyrics that they were kind of like um uh, they were critiquing society and, and the way people acted and consumers and things like that. And they would set it all to like sort of 70s AOR, easy listening kind of stuff. So people would be singing like reeling in the ears, not reeling that like that thing. like realizing that I was making fun of them. You know, again, in the same way that a Republican will use born in the USA, not realizing that, you know, just because it's big anthemic and called born in the USA, um, you, it's called irony. You know, it's—I almost want to call it sarcasm, but uh, it's called irony. And you need to pull your head out—is what you need to do. And—and and this is kind of doing that. This is very much a sitcom episode with little moments here and there that kind of—it's—it's it's weird. It's weird because because the episode never aired in the U.S. It's strange to watch it because clearly, I don't know what episode three is going to be, but clearly this is episode two. This is right after what we saw at the end of episode one—a day or couple days after and this is right after that with a bunch of people who like I said are professionals and have been working in the industry for a long time trying to figure out where this gal who's a receptionist in training suddenly like won America's heart and um, she's adorable is why it is Um, I'd um, you know I would um, do whatever I had to do to help Betty out she wouldn't understand it I don't think I'm wondering the kind of guy that Betty would go for I'd be interested to see. Uh, let let me wrap this up. Um, I didn't want to go on too long, like I said, because I I thought I, I I do want to talk about David Lynch. I want to talk some more about the actors, like the great Ian Buchanan in this, who's so goofy as Lester guy in this. I I do want to uh, talk about them, but um, this episode's running a little long and um, shouldn't be. We just we all talked a lot and it was fun. So and you you'll hear some more talking in a moment, but let me um let me wrap this up here. Uh, I'll just say that I have the episode playing right here and I forget the, um, it, it is, it is, I mean, I think they are really playing with the sitcom tropes here and, and, and it's, it's interesting. It's, it's almost like, I think if they were to do it now, it would be a little more played up, but there's, there's a things like, like that suitcase, that spy suitcase that sprays, uh, Lester, um, because they bring that suitcase, Bud Waller brings that suitcase to the, um, To the restaurant And when the Giuseppes He calls the Giuseppes over The the waiters to his table Sprays them Sprays like the three of them And then for the rest of the episode You see like the waiters And they're laughing And they're hitting their heads Against the wall And they're crazy Just so Lester can take over As the main waiter So um It's Like like I said The tricky thing with this show Was when I watched the first episode I really had no idea What to expect And when the first episode ended I really enjoyed it But still had no idea What to expect at the moment, it looks like it's going to be a wacky sitcom, but this is what... When is this? When did... This is 92? When did... When did Get a Life start? Jeez Louise, I always I always think of Get a Life as sort of the first show that really begins to properly parody sitcoms, especially like 80s sitcoms and, and, and before that we've seen for... Well, I... Lady sitcoms are kind of a sorry lot, ish. Um, but but Get Alive Life to me is always the f- in my mind sort of the first kind of anti sitcom. Um, the the show that. Um uh, kind of, yeah, begins to parody what, what sitcoms doing the tropes and that kind of thing. Except, of course, it had a laugh track. But you could turn off the laugh track in quite a few of the episodes on the DV, really nice DVD set from Shout Factory. What I didn't realize is that by time this began, um, Get-A-Life was already gone. Get-A-Life started in... Uh, Get-A-Life ran from, like, September of 90 to, like, March of 92. So this is kind of... It's interesting because this, to me, just from looking at this episode specifically... And much of the previous episode is looking like... And I see it listed as a sitcom, but I would list it as an anti-sitcom. And possibly because David Lynch is involved, they're able to turn the laugh track off. You hear a fake laugh track a couple of times in episode one, which is fun. But it's interesting. So if this is the next step in the end. No one really saw this, though. And people still remember Good Life, And it I don't know. So we'll see. Like, like I said... when when i get to the end of episode seven um this may be a whole different thing i don't know but uh, let me wrap it up here and just and and by saying that the the episode does end it doesn't end on a freeze frame i don't think but it ends on a wacky uh joke i believe where um uh um it's revealed that bud waller and 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 um nicole and um um uh Lester are there, and as Lester and Betty are leaving, Betty says, Do you want me to talk to Mr Um Zablotnik? Why? Well he seems to like me and I was gonna ask him if he if he could give you a raise. Why would I want a raise? Well, I don't know, you're the star of your own show and yet you're you've got this second job as a waiter. And the episode ends where in the background you can see all the Giuseppes acting crazy because of the spray, and in the foreground, um Lester is crying into Betty's shoulder and um yeah, and uh, there they are, and um, <laughs> he's in tears. It sort of ends like that, and um, and Betty and um, Betty is in the her coat is the same color as the um, as all the outfits that the waiters, the Giuseppes, are wearing. But yeah, it sort of ends with a wah wah kind of moment, and that um, I'm anxious to see where the next five episodes go. And the next episode will be the second one that the American public didn't see but should have. And so uh, let me uh, let me give you a little blast of something. We will go on to a little discussion of a show I like to call Auto Man. Oh, one more thing: Did I mention that there's a duck involved in this episode? Automan Episode 7, The Biggest Game in Town, January 26th, 1984, directed by Winrich Kolb, uh, written by Larry Brody Shell willens uh, the, the basic concept behind this is there is a jerk, a uh, computer jerk named Tilson, Ronald Tilson, who has um, basically sort of tapped into the same sort of computer system that Automan is a part of, and is wreaking all sorts of disasters and things involving blackouts and dams and such across the um across the city in order to um basically store 10 million dollars out of everyone so this is about all the cops and everyone running running ragged trying to find uh this guy and stop everything from happening and obviously um Walt and Auto Man are teamed up together trying to stop this and we're going to talk about this in great detail in fact I, I won't even go any crazier on it right here but um it's uh it's, it's, it's the first episode where, where Auto Man sort of gets a uh, nemesis, as it were. But I'll just keep it at that. So, crazy guy, controlling all the computers in the big city, Los Angeles, I guess, and um, uh, using it to cause disasters unless he gets $10 million. Our guy's got to stop him. Let me give you a blast. Kristen's on the other side with me. Biggest Game in Town, Episode 7 of Auto Man. Uh, now we're, we're crossing the halfway mark of the show here everyone so thank you as always for joining me and thank you also to the great kristen hawes aka kiki rice for joining me for this kristen how are you
3: i'm swell dan how are you
1: i'm doing okay i want to know what you thought of this episode of auto man you know
3: since this episode has so much to do with la infrastructure and you are more familiar with that than I am? I want to hear what you think of this episode first.
1: Oh, hell. I here, um, I, I, I got to tell you, this I, I've been enjoying the show as we've been watching it, but I've been a little iffy on it here and there. But this was the first episode of the show I loved. I thought, to me, this is the way to do Auto Man. Because you involve everybody it's high stakes you have a freaking superhero so this is why you bring i mean, I mean i'm mean, i not saying the bad guy was like stilson wrench what it was stilson whatever the bad guy's name is like yeah, i'm not saying he's like lex luthor but you need to bring in if you got a superhero you bring in a villain who can who can match him and there's something about the way that um uh, that that Automan is having fun in this episode, but he also for the, for the first time, his his friends, the computers, um, out, the electronics and such, they're all being sort of used by the bad guy. So he has as much a stake in it as as, as everyone else does, which is fun. And it kind of is structured, it's it's not quite like a disaster movie, but it sort of goes from like what's happening here to what's to like there's a bomb, there's a blackout, there's a flood, there's airplanes are going to you know, and it keeps going from bit to bit, and it moves really nicely, it's paced really well, it has some funny stuff in it, and um you know Auto Man is out there to save the day and help everybody but there's um but he's also having fun when he does it like even when like he knows the bad stuff is happen- happening like like at the airport like about halfway through there his as they're going there his big excitement is I'm going to dress as a flight commander or you know I'm going to dress up and I'm it's going to be exciting and I just thought of um um uh there's a there's a Doctor Who quote I think it's from the Time Warrior Uh, with the third Doctor and Sarah Jane, season 11, I think, where um, the Doctor says something um, strange, and Sarah Jane says something like, Are you serious? And he says something like, um, About what I do, yes, but not necessarily the way that I do it. And that's kind of Auto Man to me in this episode. He's very serious because his friends are being bothered and hurt by this jerk manipulating them. But he's also going to have some fun, and there's a lot of great moments of of, of comedy mixed in, where like he's walking by video games, or he's walking by, and and like all the games, are like "How you doing, Auto Man? What's going on, Auto? You looking good, Auto?" And he's like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you so much." And it's just, it's just it's 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 an exciting episode. It's a suspenseful episode. It also has a moment where Auto Man has a like not quite as Kryptonite. But there's a vulnerable moment for Otto. I know, I know, like his, like when the power isn't up, that's vulnerable. But in the past, that's been treated as Walter. Um, people are using too much power. I'm gonna go. I'll be back. This one is more like, ow, you know, I'm being hurt. Kind of Kryptonite. Um, and I think um, I, <laughs> I really do think if. I would. I don't know how many more episodes are going to be like this, or if any of them are going to be. But I love it because it brings sort of everything home for for the characters, and it also ups the ante of the suspense, and it keeps moving from space to space, and you never know where you're going to go next. And um. I think yeah, I think it's my favorite episode of the seven so far. Oh, what do you think of this one?
3: Um, I'm with you. I love this episode. When we when we finished uh, talking about episodes before, and you're like, okay, these are the the next ones we're gonna do, and I immediately said, with this one, you're gonna love this episode. This is a great episode. I was not wrong. It's one of the few I actually remember everything about because I I do love it so much. I love how it starts off with the bomb threat. It goes with the blackout. It goes to the uh, the flooding and it's kind of ramping up. so when you get to the impending airline disaster, you're like this is this is the climax and then it happens and you're like well no, we have to go catch the bad guys because they you know tried to kill Bart, so then they have to go catch the bad guys and Automan mm-hmm. gets hurt for the first time and you're like, okay. And yes. we caught the bad guys and it's like okay now we're done and then it's like no there's another bomb and it's like it's this great more, yeah. roller coaster ride of okay we, we, we saved the day no we didn't yes we did no we didn't and I just love how that plays out throughout the whole episode it's just it really is it's a really good time you know and it really shows the potential of what the show could have been and probably should have been and probably would have been if it had gotten to go on more seasons this was like the groove right here this episode i think
1: yes this is um th- this t- to me this is like what um uh, another short-lived show gemini man uh gets right early on and then sort of for some reason abandons halfway through i say halfway through there was a tv movie in 11 episodes so halfway through isn't A huge point. But at the start of Gemini Man, you get these great episodes where, like, Sam Casey, Ben uh, Murphy's character, like, um, the bad guys who are sort of kind of the Soviets, like, they have a double of Sam who's going to infiltrate everything. Or there's an episode where Sam wakes up in a motel room, doesn't remember where he is, and then when he gets to work, they... They try to arrest him because they have video of him murdering a guy, and he doesn't know what's going on. And then there's an episode with, um, oh, jeez, you're going to be so mad at me. I've just blanked on his name, Wild Wild West, Um, uh, your favorite guy. Ross uh, Martin. Ross Martin? Yes, yes, okay, I didn't blank on it. There's an episode where, like, he works for the place that Ben Murphy's character Sam works for, and he embezzles money and makes this giant robot. Eh, ish giant robot ish that's going to attack intersect where they all work and stuff like that and and the early episodes of gemini man are great because all the uh all the danger going on well maybe not the trucking episode but i love trucking so that doesn't matter but all the dangers involved directly are main cast Whereas the Automan's—I mean, yes—the last episode had had Walter. You know, you know—is he going to get arrested? What's going on? But you never really sort of thought when you watch that, like, Automan wouldn't let that happen. Automan would contact his people at the computers, and they'd change something, and everything would be all right. But this has a feeling of like—it's—it is personal, and it really is affecting when you're watching it. It's exciting, and and it. It it really builds and is nice and like even 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 uh, Roxanne and the captain doing their regular sort of stuff doesn't really intrude on it because it's got such a, a momentum to it that um, I like I was really surprised when I watched it I was like wow this is really cooking like not that the other episodes are well actually one or two of the episodes have been kind of slow but, but but this one really has a nice pace to it and I really. I really enjoyed it. I think Auto Man and Walter are really good in this sort of solving the riddles and, and um, saving the day most of the time.
3: Yeah, it's, I, I do like how they got to work together. And I do like how this was kind of in Auto Man's wheelhouse big time because they're using computers yes. to – they're taking over the city computers in order to uh, extract money from the city, which I'm like, oh, it's like an early version of ransomware. That's great. And so but and you and as you said, um, Automan is really, really offended at the, these poor computers because the way they're being programmed, they're being programmed to forget who programmed them yes. and just being horribly manipulated and it really upsets him. And so for the first time you get to really see you really get to get Man involved like on a personal, Level as much as a hologram can be involved personally, (laughs) except he does bring up to to Walter. He's like, because he's he like the very first thing he does when he appears is he starts uh, complaining to Walter about how he has needs as well,
1: and (laughs) he's oh, it's great. It's
3: not fair that because he's been programmed by Walter that he has all Walter's likes, and he's like, you know, so. How come I only like blondes? There's some very attractive brunettes that do nothing for me because of that. And he's really put out about it. And it's just, it's it's another great bromance moment between Walter and Auto Man that I absolutely love. And because Walter's like, we really don't have time for this right now. (laughs) It's like, the city is, there's a blackout. People are looting. which, do they do that? If if the power goes out in L.A., I don't know, because where I live, in the middle of a cornfield, we don't loot. We just go outside and yell at acro- across the street at each other, hey, is your power out? Yeah, damn it. <laughs> and then, you know, that's that's about all we do when the power goes out here, um, so I don't know.
1: I I always felt like that was more like a New York City thing, like they, they – because our power goes out um, usually at least once or twice every – year just not not you know generally not for long but for a time and um i don't i'm I, where i am there's been no looting no one's no one's <laughs> tried to come into my house and take my sofa um so so i i think to to me to me that feels like a new york city thing like in the 70s you know when they had a couple of big blackouts and they were just crazy and people were looting and and things um but I guess it might happen. I don't know. That just seems um, – that does seem a bit um, – that does seem a bit like they had access to some stock footage. And they just thought, yeah. let's use this. Yeah. And like every, we, everyone in like the
3: – We need to show oh, some sort of chaos with this. So let's just say yes. everybody – the power went on. Everybody's like, hey, let's go get some TVs.
1: It, it really does. And it also makes for a great um, bit of – it's not quite misdirection – because the episode begins with them uh, with um uh, 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 Roxanne and um, uh, Jack Jack is that is that Jack? Yes, hey um going and investigating at a strip club. Um, which has some very distracting ladies walk by in the opening scene. Even the extras are distracted by them. Um, uh, and they find a bomb there. And they take the bomb away. And it's like, oh yeah, we diffuse the bomb. And it's, oh, okay, the debom- bomb is diffused, and then, and then the power goes out. And it's a great bit of misdirection because... And I won't ruin it, but something about that opening scene is very... Imp- maybe we'll ruin it. Is very important to the closing scene. And I thought I loved i thought it was very clever when you get to the closing and they are in the police department and there's a bomb and they're trying to find it and Automan is like yeah i know where it is how do you know i didn't program you to find bombs no nope, trust me i know where it is and when he finds it it's like oh that was nicely done that i did not see that coming
3: yeah it was it was like the last episode when the you they did the seance, and you thought that was a throwaway scene, but it comes back to the end. It's mm-hmm. useful. Same deal here. You think that the bomb thing is a yes. is a throwaway opener just so the power can go out, and then it comes back to mean something at the end. I really liked that.
1: Yes, and, and I thought, too, I could have sworn the first time I watched this, and I don't think it happens, but I could be wrong, that when you cut to the three evil people at the electronics convention, and we'll talk about the nerd convention in a minute. <laughs> I th- I thought they mentioned the bomb, but I don't think they do. They, they do. just mentioned, They talk about the blackout.
3: Yeah, they just talk about the blackout.
1: So so in the end, when the bomb kind of comes up again, you're like, oh, wow, they really planned this. Like, they, they like, hid, almost, not, not quite hidden in plain sight, but, like... You know, we've got a bomb scare. The bomb's been diffused. Oh my god, all the power's gone out. We'll get the bomb out of here. We gotta what the power's gone out. There's looting and craziness. And and meanwhile the the real problem is being snuck out the back door. And and in a way it's 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 nicely done. It really is a nice um, and it, it, it did surprise me. Um, but but let's talk about the nerds. Let's talk about the nerds. Let's talk Let's, let's talk about the a computer it's, I, I meant to write down what the name of the convention was but then I thought who cares, it's a computer electronic gaming convention thing circa 1984 you can, yeah, like you Computer imagine. 84 yes exactly, it's a sort of thing where I forget the timeline exactly for the usual Unusual Suspects episode of X-Files where Mulder meets the lone gunman uh, but this would have been a few years after that, most likely. But but it's sort of like that. If you've seen that episode, that was the um, second episode of... Se- no. Was it the second, third episode of Season 5? I think. After Redux and Redux 2. And that was one of those episodes, there's no Scully, because they were making the X-Files movie, the first one. And they only had Mulder. And it's basically how the Lone Gunman met at a convention which looks pretty much exactly like this convention, except kind of darker, but that's the X-Files.
3: Yes, this this was definitely not dark, considering there's a whole lot of geeks out there peddling their, their <laughs> computer games, and Walter is there, because obviously yes. it's computer games, and he used to dabble in that, as he said, and he's playing um, something that looks like maybe like it reminded me of a game I used to play on the Commodore 64, so there, that's how old I am, and that's how much of a geek I am. <laughs> um, it called Motor Mania, I, and that's what the game looked oh, like. Oh,
1: okay. Um, okay. Uh, I, I had a couple thoughts.
3: Uh, po- like pole position almost. but it, I, it was like
1: pole position, except not on a racetrack. Yeah,
3: yeah it looked – which for me was more like Motor Mania, because Motor Mania, you weren't on a racetrack. You were okay. going through the country like that, and I always got killed on this one level. But anyway <laughs> – Walter had the same problem, he wiped out too, and the, the lady comes die. over and very obviously tells him that's the point of the game, as you advance the the racetracks get harder and harder and I'm like, Really? Really? <laughs> you felt the need to point that out. Video games were so new that people didn't realize that's how they worked. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, this is I mean, this is early eighty four, so I think E T had already come out, so we had already been hurt by video games on several occasions so we knew how they worked and we loved them but we also knew that they could sync up the joint i i i, I was trying to figure out what that game too. I, I might i my first thought was uh there's a game called turbo it might be turbo and then i thought it might be a game called changing lanes but it when i actually went and looked it doesn't quite look like either of them but it could be but but there were It's 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 one of those fun You know Racing games folks Like a pole position But it's on a street Like a tree-lined street And um, And um, um, Walter doesn't do so great Maybe he doesn't do so great Because Like maybe like Automan is looking over His shoulder And is like Go to the left Walter Go to the <laughs> right Walter Yes You're good And so he doesn't want to like Make it look like He's doing too great So he crashes it But they have I saw Joust I saw Bubbles I saw Burger Time. Uh, Auto Man shows up on Burger Time, which is one of my all-time favorite games.
3: I love playing Burger Time.
1: The joy of Burger Time is that everyone, if you know Burger Time, you remember that initial screen. But there were like six screens. And by time you get to the last screen, they are like Johann Sebastian Bach Baroque crazy like you have to go up this ladder but uh, get the pickle but then you have to go up this ladder but then go to the right and go up this ladder but then go to get the bun and it's just it's the deeper you get in the game the more you look at it and go like what the hell which is why I love burger time thank you very much
3: <laughs> yes because yeah it was it was a crazy game i don't think i ever beat that one i don't think i could i, I
1: I, I I know I never got through all the boards, but um there there was a time when I got to maybe like the fourth or fifth screen. And by the time you get there you're like, How did anyone make it past this? Because they're like it looks like the regular screen but like there will be like levels will be missing and there'll just be one ladder. It's crazy. It's yeah. and Joust. Oh, I've seen it here. Joust I love Joust. Joust is so much fun. And, oh, there's another game. Is that Journey? I, I, I that is. No. I was just saying because <laughs> there were two games named Journey. One of them involved Journey, the band. But then another didn't. And I think I see the other Journey here. Um, but there are a lot of fun games. Oh, my, was that Wacko? I'm sorry. I've got it playing here. Here's the thing. I played a lot of video games when I was a kid. That's what I why I got beat up a lot. Um, but it was fun. It was fun. Um, but also, if you if you if you all know, one of my favorite TV shows is Starcade, the mid '80s uh, video game uh, a game show, video game game show, with Jeff Edwards as the host, and it ran for like three years, and it was on Saturday mornings at like noon after all the cartoons were done. And they used to play Bubbles and Joust and Burger Time and all these games. And so, like, even if I don't play them now, I can go on YouTube and watch other people play them, which sounds so depressing. Kristen, what else do you have about this episode?
3: (laughs) Well, um, since we're talking about the nerds, we'll talk about our bad guys because they... Yes. With the exception of the girl who is probably too pretty to be taken seriously as a nerd back there. they should have like put glasses on her at least um, <laughs> the other two guys actually did come across as just nerdy enough that yes you would believe them to be computer game developers yes because the one yes. guy um I've seen him in a bunch of stuff but he's like he's in one of my favorite episodes of murder she wrote called if it's tuesday it must be bever or if it's thursday it must be, be beverly and he's he's kind of a dweeb in that a very sweet dweeb uh-huh who is having sex with multiple women um, all over Cabot oh, Cove. There's a scandal that nobody oh. really talks about.
1: It's a great episode.
3: <laughs> but, but he's I need kind to watch a, more
1: Murder, She Wrote.
3: <laughs> yes. He's kind of a, uh, uh, a nerdy guy in that, too, but he's not evil. In this one, he's definitely mm. got the nerdy evil thing going on, yes. and I really do appreciate that. I don't think people really, truly appreciate nerdy evil enough. And he has yes. it going on, because he's, he's Bart, who is is going to be the weakest link, he tries to get rid of him by taking over his <coughs> exactly, car and yes. trying to crash it. And mm. poor Bart. He felt bad for him, because he was friends with Walter, and <coughs> then when he was worried that Walter was suspecting, he wanted out. And then he tried to mm-hmm. warn Walter about the airplanes, and then they ended up crashing his car, which was an interesting scene because uh, he gets around the truck somehow because he has no control over oh, the, yes. the... I don't know how he the computer would have taken over his car because they really didn't have computers that, yeah. in the cars back then. But <laughs> he gets around that truck and he ends up like, hitting a wall. And they yeah. show a close-up of what looks like a muffler. And you're like, it's so... <laughs> like uh, Disconnected from everything else you're like why, why, why are they showing bits of the car and then <laughs> yes. they show the the car being smashed up and then they show the, the muffler another shot of the muffler ca- catching on fire and then the car catches on fire and Autumn Man comes and saves him and you're like oh that's how that was supposed to fit it's just a very awkwardly yeah. shot
1: yes for an episode that has so much in it that the car chase there oh, well it's not really a car chase per se but the car sequence, yeah, right at the end when yeah he cra- it becomes very awkward because it looks like right before we gotta go save him and they rush up and save him and when they when they there's a, like a bit where they um you know Auto Man throws open the door and he gets barred out of there and they take him out of there where it doesn't look like there's anything wrong it looks like everything's fine but in the couple of previous shots it looked like everything was gonna blow up and then a moment later everything blows up. And so it's sort of like a weird, like, maybe the editor wasn't given, like, everything they should have been given. And they did the best they could. Because it's slightly awkward.
3: Yeah, because it's like, you know, we need to drive home that the car is catching on fire. So just insert these shots of this muffler. Yes. And then the muffler catching mm-hmm. on fire. So people know, because I, this is back in 1984, but I want to think that they were smart enough to figure it out, out, that the car was fixing to catch on fire. Without they. Mm-hmm. Isolated muscular
1: shots. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I I will also say that the as much as I I love this episode, that scene and the brief scene, the, well, not the brief scene actually, it's quite a good scene with the where um, the uh, auto plane flies in between the two planes and and alerts them to the fact that they're about to hit is slightly is one of those scenes where it's slightly oddly edited where. I knew what was going on because people told me rather than fully understanding from what I was seeing. yeah, uh, which is fine which, which is fine. I mean it's this is a TV show, so I don't expect you know two full-on like jets about to crash into one another and then all of a sudden a tiny you know computer jet plane <laughs> flies in between them and saves the day. I don't fully expect to see that. But it is slightly edited in. they have the, just CGI the, the whole scene. Yes, yes, they, they would have CGI, and it would have made it would have made perfect sense. And here it does make sense too, I think. But it's it it um there, there's just I I think there's a moment where they cut in between everyone in their respective places, the one jet landing, the auto jet. And the radar Where somewhere in there it's like Oh my gosh there are two planes there Oh that other plane saved them And for a split second I was like Oh I didn't didn't see that Oh okay we're alright Okay good And then when I went back and watched it again I was like I still don't quite see that Where does that happen? But it's okay Because everyone's safe It doesn't matter if Dan Sees the edit everyone's safe.
3: Yes, that's what matters. Everyone's safe.
1: I don't know what the next six episodes hold in store for us, but I do know that this episode had everything that I like about the show. It had great interaction between Walt and Auto Man. It had great interaction between Auto Man and all the computers and everything. His talks with the elevators were a joy. It has, I think, nerdy but... but in this in this context, perfect villains, and it also there there was a point about fifteen minutes into it when I thought if they're accessing the computers, surely they should be able to hurt Auto Man in some way, and then that gun shows up. I forget what it was called. I want to say the disruptor gun, but I might be making that up.
3: Yeah, it was basically it course. was basically like a, uh, the duck hunt gun for Nintendo.
1: The, yes, exactly That's the Nintendo the, the duck hunt gun. Yep. And 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 they they shoot Auto Man with it, and it disrupts his power, and he's disconnected from his power, and he he goes out cold. And I I want to say at the at the end of the episode, there's a moment where Auto Man and Walt save the day, and they disconnect from each other because they're they're linked up, firestorm style, and and Walt leaves Auto Man and faints. <laughs> and this sequence where Auto Man is shot. It's sort of the same thing, except like Auto Man sort of faints, because it the, like this is almost like his kryptonite. Like they found the duck hunt gun, and it's go, and that would be fun too. Like you would think, like maybe something as silly, kind of as silly as that. Like when 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 he sees the gun, he's like, oh, this could be trouble. And then when the woman pulls out the gun and uh, or whoever it is, I think it's her, sh- shoots him. It's like it looks like a Nintendo late 80s gun light gun kind of thing but but that would make perfect sense that it would affect automan Man um, with the computers at the time and so so it's it's like really like 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 i said like about a third of the way and i was like there should be some sort of kryptonite that should bother him and it only happens briefly which makes me think that um, if the show would have continued Someone, maybe like this bad guy would have returned and he would have realized, you know, my real enemy, my real nemesis is Auto Man, and that gun hurt him, so he'd make like a portable gun or something like that. But that would have been in like season two or three, I don't know. We never got that. In Alternate Earth, they're enjoying Auto Man season. Thirty-one. I don't know. What would they be watching right now? And, oh, my God, it would be so good. It
3: would be. Oh. Because this guy. It would be so good. He would have been the recurring villain. He would have been the woe fat of Ye- Auto Man. Yes. Ex- he just would have kept
1: exactly. up. Exactly. Exactly, because it would have just been one of those, like, like in season two, there would have just been an episode where, like, just something weird happens. And like, oh, that's a little strange. And then everything goes on the way it's supposed to be going, and then about like halfway through, you get a moment and was like, wait a minute. Let's look back at that strange thing that happened. And you realize that, oh God, that guy's back. And he did something little that kind of is sparking a bunch of other um things to happen, sort of thing. And I, I could I could really see him being like the um sort of the nemesis of um not quite the dr doom sort of thing but or lex luthor but sort of the nemesis of of auto man because he has so much he uh control over the computers so maybe eventually he would like a season finale like say season six maybe the series finale like he would get the point where he would be able to control auto man and so like auto man would go bad or something i don't Ooh. know oh I'm making, no I,
3: he creates his own version of auto man an evil auto man with a mustache yes yes oh we
1: were perfect,
3: perfect. i've been brilliant we were robbed
1: oh my gosh i want to go to alternate earth where they are on where they did 20 seasons of manimal and 10 seasons of auto man because we got robbed, and like eight, eight or nine seasons of Voyagers. Because yeah, because yeah. we got robbed, and all these, all these shows we, we talk about on here, going, like, we got robbed big, big time. Oh, could you imagine that? Like an episode where, um, where, where like Walt um, brings up Auto Man, like Auto Man has a mustache, and it's like, hey, what are you? What's going on with <gasps> you? Oh yes, I'm just trying something new. But it turns out it's evil Auto Man.
3: Oh yes, and he would have his own evil cursor
1: too. Yes, maybe slightly different color, like a like a, yeah. I don't know, red. Like not, not red, red is dead. maybe too much.
3: Evil Otto is yes. red
1: with a mustache. Yeah, and when when he shows up, he he's he's blue with a mustache, but then there's like a like a like the power goes out for a second, and for a split second he glows red, and then he becomes blue again. And Walt Season is like, what are you? are you okay yes i'm i'm fine walter what's going on? and and at that time they've like imprisoned um oh of course where would they imprison auto man in the in the tron universe yes of course oh my gosh of course that would be like a two-parter that would like end a season or maybe if it were like you know, like Glenn A. Larson would open a season. I would think it would end a season. But it would be like they trap Tron. They trap Tron. They trap Automan in the Tron universe playing all the Tron games while Evil Tron is slowly, like, destroying the world. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And that would be like season four or five, folks. That would be something we do right off. Yeah. But, Wow. Could you, could you see that like could you see like automan like sitting in like one of those little little car you know that that have the tracks behind them kind of thing and just just oh he'd have so much fun. But he'd be like, "What's going on? Where's Walter?" And maybe he brings Walter into—I don't know, I don't know. We're going beyond, <laughs> uh, above, and beyond. If anyone's listening and writing all this down and stealing it, you jerks, you jerks.
3: Copyright. It's copyrighted. We just copyrighted, copyrighted
1: it. Copyright, copyright. But I, I, I absolutely love that thought—that this guy brings in fake Auto Man with a mustache, who's red but looks blue, and traps our Auto Man in the Tron world.
3: Seriously, how do we go back in time and write this?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Automan, the motion picture. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Two hundred million dollar budget. Yeah. Oh.
3: My and it gosh. would make a gazillion and dollars.
1: Everything we want. Wow. Well, yeah, exactly. Ah. <sighs> All right, folks. Well, I guess <laughs> you, uh, I, that's all I want to think about now. But we should wrap this up because um, this is a rabbit hole we can continue in on episode eight. We'll see what episode eight is. I don't know what episode eight is. If we can continue on this rabbit hole, let's go there. But I will just say, if I don't know if if you, I don't know if this is a if you only want to watch one episode, you should watch this one because I haven't watched them all. But um, Well, you know what? Each episode of Auto Man that I've watched begins with three and a half minutes of introduction. So you might be okay just watching this episode. Because you'll have fun. There are car chases. There are exciting, like... Um, disaster film style things. There are crazy computer things. There are action sequences. There's funny comedy. It's all here. There's a hunky guy. There are two hunky guys if you love Desi Arnaz Jr. I I like him. I just think of Lucy and Desi whenever I see him so I can't... Even the fact that even the fact that um, Auto Man says you know why do I only love blondes there's some attractive brunettes and I was hoping he'd say and some redheads but then I thought of his mom and I thought well you know they they probably didn't want to say that because some people might think oh Lucy (laughs) and um which is why he wouldn't be thinking of that because you know we don't think of Lucy in that way Desi did obviously but we don't um but uh I, I i guess maybe in 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 some part of me and i haven't watched all the episodes but if you're going to start you might start with this episode just because they give you a full introduction to the series at the beginning and because it's an exciting episode i don't know but but Kristen, do you do you have do you have any background um on this one i i forgot what we were talking about now i got lost in the <laughs> Automan movie
3: well, I just have two little things. One, I did want to point out, though, because we didn't get a whole lot of Jack in this episode because they kind of sent him on a wild goose chase because he was tracking down a lead on who they thought might be doing it because oh, yes. the bad guys were framing him. And by the time he gets to the end of the episode, so he's already gone through the first bomb, the blackout. Um, the, he was there for the dam. He, he and Captain Boy both tried to stop the dam from doing whatever it was programmed to do, which was badness, flooding the city, I guess. And then he missed out on, uh, I think he missed out on the uh, airplanes because he was tracking down this false lead, which led him back to the police department. So by the time he gets to the very end of this episode, <laughs> and the the closing line is something about Captain Boyd's demanding what uh, to know how Walter disarmed this bomb, and he's just like, oh, just beginner's luck. Jack starts laughing like the punch drunk man that you know he is because he's got to be exhausted.
1: Yes. <laughs> he's one and year like from the retirement. It's <laughs> moment to
3: close on.
1: Yes. Yes, it's, it's 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 so wonderful because like if if you're just randomly watching it, well maybe you shouldn't make this your first one. But but it it it, it seems like they're overdoing it. But if you if you know the character and you kind of can feel where he's coming from, it's like yes. Perfect, perfect ending.
3: Yes, it really was. And my one little bit of trivia, and I don't know how true this is, but, because it's from IMDb, so some of it's good, some of it is questionable. But according to IMDb, the second air controller, we only saw him for like a brief minute, um, he is uh, played by a guy named Michael Holden, who apparently his first credit is listed as playing Artie Fonzarelli in an episode of Happy Days. He played um, Fonzie's half brother or something in a later episode a later season episode. Oh. So that, I do, Oh that huh. I saw the validity but I just wanted to throw that out there cuz I know you do. You are covering Happy Days, so just something to look for. Yes. If you see Okay, have you yeah, seen I, that guy and you're like, "I think I've seen him somewhere before." Think of Automan.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um uh do, a, anything else? Anything else?
3: Uh no. I think that's good for me. Okay.
1: Okay. So let me just say um just one more thing. Um I'm not 100% sure there's a sequence where uh, Auto Man and and Walter hide from the bad guys in uh, (laughs) Bart's hotel room but you can see the edges of Auto Man's virtual shoes hologram shoes I'm not sure how that happens I I think Auto Man maybe does that on purpose maybe like he saw the gun and was like okay I need to see what this gun does to me but I'm not going to shoot myself so I'm, we're going to hide, but I'm going to hide badly. So they shoot me, and I see what it does to me. I'm just making this <laughs> up. But it's just wacky that, like, a hologram would hide in a wall badly. You know, there isn't, like, a curtain. There aren't shoes sticking out from a curtain kind of thing. This isn't, like, like pieces or something where you know the Dean's hiding behind a curtain at the end. You know, th- this it just ends up looking a little... It ends up looking a little, like... Auto Man did it on purpose. When I see it, like he, 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 you, you, you know, you're in, you know, you're transparent and can go into a wall, but you don't know that your feet are sticking out from the bottom of the wall. That doesn't make sense to me, and I'm not transparent. Yeah, that's a so that's just
3: that's a rare Auto Man mistake.
1: That is a mistake, which makes me think that maybe it's not a mistake, which makes me think that maybe he's he. Um, uh, even though he doesn't really want to, he wants to try see what that gun is, and he knows that if they find him, they will use the gun on him, and he can see what it does. It's set up for uh, future episodes, yeah. Basically,
3: so so he's so, he's playing five dimension chess while the rest of us are just playing checkers. That's what's going on.
1: Precisely. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so um, and, and Walter is just confused by most of it. So, but but he's he's a he's a good guy to have uh on your side because he knows the computers so um so i guess uh so 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 i guess i just i guess just to to recap my favorite episode so far uh, kristen would you uh, uh, would you like to recap and then say where you are online
3: um, online, you can find me at my blog, uh, KikiWritesAbout.com. That is the home base for my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O podcast where I cover the 1968 uh, Hawaii Five-O. It's a great time. Do listen. Um, but if yes, you want it's... to listen to me ramble even more about how much I love this particular episode of Automan, you can do that by following me on Twitter at KikiWrites.
1: Hooray. All right, so that is that is episode 7 so we are past the halfway point. I would love if the rest of the show would go in this direction. I have no idea. I have not watched the other episodes so we'll we'll see what we see. So thank you again, Kristen, and that was the biggest game in town and that was a lot of fun. And now let us let's wrap up this episode. Let me give you a blast. Bam, bam, doing All right, that was episode 96, everyone. We are getting closer and closer to 100. Isn't it weird? Like, when I was at 90, it seemed like 90 to 95 flew by. But 95 to 96, it's taken forever to get to this point. You know, like, I want to get to 100. I want to say I'm at 101. Why? I don't know. Does it mean anything? No, it doesn't. But um, I I think what it means is that there's a lot of episodes of this show out there. It's funny. I'd like to. I'm. It's funny. I'm almost tempted to like hop on SoundCloud or whatever and just go. Let's thirty three. Let's do thirty three. What happened in episode thirty three? That was a long time ago. That was would that have been two thousand late two thousand seventeen, early two thousand eighteen, maybe. I wonder what would have been going on. Voyagers, probably. Uh, maybe Manimal. Uh, I don't know. So anyway. Get a little nostalgic as we approach the um, the one big 100, the 100, and I'm Dan. By the way, I you've been listening to me for a while. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, I, where are we? At Esupertrain1 on Twitter. Eventually, <sighs> Supertrain on Facebook. Social media is making me so tired lately. I, I part of me is thinking I, I should go on Instagram with something, but I, I can't quite get the energy up to do that. Uh, you can email me at Danny, D A N N Y Slacks, S L A C K S, at yahoo.com. And eventually, uh, supertrained blogspot.com. That's the place to find me. So, yeah, that is the end of this one. Next time, uh, we'll all be back. I'll be back talking about episode three of, of On the Air, the second episode they aired. And Tim will be back for another Nero. And, and, and Kristen will be back for another Auto Man. And it will be awesome. And it will be episode 97. It may be a very special Halloween episode because it'll be coming out right before Halloween in 2020. But I'll probably forget about that. Although I'll try to remember. So be good to yourself, folks. Be safe. Be cool. Don't be jerks, please. Good Lord, don't be jerks. And I will talk to you soon. You know, I'm going to close out with the way I opened. Tell me what he's saying. What What is being said in this? If you can tell me what's being said tim has told me if if you can if you can send me an email or, or a tweet or something like that telling me what is being said right here then tim has told me that he will send you a lock of his beautiful hair it's some it's something to think about it's something to shoot for it's something to dream for talk to you next time
0: Please don't leave this uh, fullistic for my electric